0: Hi everyone, it's Stu here, your dulcet-toned podcast host. Are you tired of ads interrupting your favourite true crime podcast, British Murders of course? I mean, who needs a 60-second detour when you're in the midst of an immensely well-told story? The irony of this being an ad isn't lost on me, but I wanted to let you know that you can listen to British Murders completely ad-free by signing up for a Patreon membership. For as little as £3 per month, you'll get early access to ad-free episodes as well as a heap of other benefits. I've got a fair few bonus episodes you can sink your teeth into and every Monday I drop a new episode of the British Murders Weekly Journal. If you enjoy exclusive giveaways, my Patreon has those too. Head to patreon.com slash britishmurders and choose either my OBE or KBE slash DBE tier to rid yourself of those pesky adverts. Plus, you'll be helping support your favourite podcast so that I can offer you even more content going forward. I'd say that I'll shut up now, but you've got the rest of the episode to listen to. Back to you, Stu. Welcome to British Murders, a true crime podcast with a focus on British murder cases – My name's Stuart Blues, and I'm excited for you to join me on this journey of morbid discovery. I'm by no means an expert on the subjects of homicide and serial killers. However, I have always had a sick fascination with them. Together, we will learn about some of the lesser-known British murderers, as well as glimpsing occasionally at some of the more notorious ones. The bite-sized presentation of this podcast is intentional, as we look to cover an overview of the respective timelines of each case succinctly. This is the second episode of my two-part season one special focusing on the crimes of ian brady and myra hindley two of britain's most notorious serial killers last week we looked into the early life and background of the deadly couple known as the moors murderers we also explored the build-up and execution of their very first murder This week, we'll be focusing on how the couple carried out the rest of their killing spree before their capture in late 1965. Our story continues four months after the killing of 16-year-old Pauline Reed. On the afternoon of November 23rd, 1963, two young friends went to the local cinema. They were 12-year-old boy John Kilbride and his friend John Ryan. It was around 5pm when the movie had finished, so the boys walked towards a local market in a bid to earn some extra cash. They would offer to help the market sellers pack their stock away. Once the market closed, the boys went their separate ways. John Ryan went and caught a bus whilst John Kilbride sat alone by a carpet stall and snacked on crisps. By which I mean potato chips. Hindley and Brady were scouring the market when they spotted John on his own. They explained to him that his parents were worried that he was on his own so late in the day and offered to give him a ride home. They even promised to give John some sherry if he came with them. The pair walked John to their hired car, a Ford Anglia, and started to drive. Brady soon mentioned how Hindley had lost a glove on saddle with Moor, and they wanted to go and search for it. Upon reaching the Moor, Brady took John with him to a secluded location, as he had with Pauline Reed. Brady sexually assaulted John before slitting his throat with a 6-inch serrated knife. He followed this by strangling John to death with a piece of string. When John did not come home for dinner, Sheila and Patrick, his parents, called the police. A huge search was carried out again by the police, with thousands of volunteers combing the local area for any sign of John. Again, they came up short. As with Pauline Reed, John Kilbride appeared to have simply vanished. Seven months passed before the deadly duo killed again. On the evening of June 16, 1964, 12-year-old Keith Bennett left his mother's house in Longsight, an inner city area of Manchester. He walked across the road, accompanied by his mother, Winnie, and was left to walk the last few hundred yards alone towards his grandmother's house, where he would be staying for the night. Winnie turned around and walked back from where they had come, as she had plans to play bingo that evening. Keith never arrived at his grandmother's house. Thinking nothing of it, perhaps Winnie had decided against sending Keith over, his grandmother was shocked when Winnie arrived the next morning to collect Keith. What neither of them realised was that Hindley had approached Keith before he reached his grandmother's house and asked him to help her load some boxes into her mini pickup truck. When I say mini, I'm referring to the car brand, rather than the size of the truck. Once all the boxes were loaded, Hindley offered to take Keith home. He accepted. Brady waited patiently in the back of the truck as Hindley drove them all to a paved area at the side of a road on Saddleworth Moor. The same process followed as had with the previous two murders. Brady disappeared alone with Keith to search for a lost glove. 30 minutes later, Brady returned alone carrying a spade, which he had previously hidden in a secluded area of the moor. He confirmed to Hindley that he had sexually assaulted Keith before strangling him with a piece of string. The authorities were called the following morning by Keith's mother and grandmother, However, nothing was discovered after yet another failed police search. This brought the total number of missing children up to three, with zero traces found relating to any of their disappearances. A further six months passed before the couple struck again. On Boxing Day of 1964, a fun fair was being held in Ancoats, an area of Manchester next to the northern quarter of the city. Hindley and Brady visited the funfair and started searching for their next victim. They spotted a 10-year-old girl named Leslie Ann Downey who was all alone. Leslie Ann had visited the funfair with her two brothers and their friends. What little pocket money they took was soon spent, and the group soon succumbed to boredom. All of the group, except Leslie Ann, headed to their respective homes. She only lived around 200 meters away from the funfair so she likely didn't see the harm in being there alone. Leslie Ann was spotted by one of her school friends standing alone next to one of the funfair rides at around 5:30 p.m. This was the last time anyone saw Leslie Ann alive. Hindley and Brady approached Leslie Ann and asked her if she would help them load their shopping bags into their car. They made it look like they were struggling by letting the shopping bags fall to the ground. When the bags had been loaded, they asked Leslie Anne if she would help them unload the bags back at their house. Upon arriving at the house, Leslie Anne was stripped, gagged, and forced to pose for explicit photographs. She was then raped and strangled to death. Hindley has gone on record as stating that she left Brady alone with Leslie Ann with the intention of running a bath, and upon her return, she discovered that Brady had killed her. Brady's story differs to this as he has claimed that it was in fact Hindley who killed Leslie Ann. One of Hindley and Brady's neighbours said, quote, We heard shouting, then we heard boys and girls screaming, but of course, I thought it was just boys and girls larking about, unquote. Larking about means being mischievous. Leslie Ann's mother, Anne, and her fiancé, Alan, grew worried when their little girl didn't return home for her evening meal. They attempted to search for her, however they found nothing. The next morning, Hindley and Brady drove Leslie Ann's body to Saddleworth Moor, where they buried her in a shallow grave. They left Leslie Anne's body completely naked, placing her clothes at her feet. The police were called by Anne and Alan, and another massive search was conducted. Police searched the whole countryside to no avail. Thousands of local residents were questioned and missing posters were hung throughout Manchester, however, nothing came of it. Leslie Ann was now the fourth child to seemingly vanish into thin air. The deadly couple waited 10 months before killing their fifth and final victim. On October 6, 1965, Hindley and Brady drove to Manchester Central train station. Brady, intent on finding another victim, left Hindley waiting in the car and went inside. It didn't take him long to spot 17-year-old apprentice engineer, Edward Evans. Returning to the car with Edward, Brady introduced Hindley as his sister. Hindley drove them all back to the house where they chatted for a while and drank some wine together. Hindley's younger sister, Maureen, had recently married a man named David Smith. David had a criminal record and, like his sister-in-law, looked up to Brady and they had formed a close bond as a result. This was of grave concern to Hindley as she felt it would jeopardise them. During the evening, Brady requested that Hindley go collect David and bring him back to the house. In order to make David's appearance appear as being out of the blue, Hindley asked him to wait outside until she flashed a light from the inside. Upon seeing the signal, David knocked on the door which was opened by Brady. In an attempt to make Edward feel more secure, Brady asked David if he had come for the miniature wine bottles, before disappearing into the living room where Hindley and Edward were. David later told police, quote, I waited about a minute or two, then suddenly I heard a hell of a scream. It sounded like a woman, really high pitched. Then the screams carried on, one after another, really loud. Then I heard Myra shout, Dave, help him, very loud. When I ran in, I just stood inside the living room and I saw a young lad. He was lying with his head and shoulders on the couch and his legs were on the floor. He was facing upwards. Ian was standing over him, facing him, with his legs on either side of the young lad's legs. The lad was still screaming. Ian had a hatchet in his hand. He was holding it above his head and he hit the lad on the left side of his head with the hatchet. "'I heard the blow. It was a terrible, hard blow. It sounded horrible.'" Brady then proceeded to garrote Edward with a length of electrical cord. Both Brady and David wrapped Edward's body in a plastic sheet before moving it to a spare bedroom. David left the house with the intention of returning the following day to help Brady dispose of Edward's body. When David arrived at his home, he told his wife everything that had gone on that evening. They agreed that it was the best course of action to inform the police. David called in the crime from a phone box close to his house. He was subsequently picked up by a police officer and taken to Hyde Police Station in Tameside, Greater Manchester. He explained to the officers about what he saw the previous evening. Three police officers visited the property where Hindley and Brady had killed Edward the previous evening. When the officers identified themselves and explained about David's report, Hindley denied everything. When she was asked about the spare bedroom and the fact that it was locked, Hindley stated the key was at work. The officer then offered to take Hindley to collect the key, at which point Brady revealed himself and informed Hindley to hand the key to the officer. Upon discovering Edward's body in the spare bedroom, Brady was arrested. Brady said to the arresting officer, Eddie and I had a row and the situation got out of hand. Arresting officer Detective Ian Fairley recalled the morning they captured Hindley and Brady. The three of us went in, Hindley was dressed for business and Brady was in bed. We found the body of Edward Evans and we found the guns. Edward Evans was tied up in a plastic bag in the bedroom. While Hindley was not initially arrested, she demanded that she go to the police station with Brady and took her dog with her. Hindley kept reiterating that the death had been an accident. She was allowed to return home on the condition that she returned to the station the next day. She didn't return. Four days later, on October 11th, 1965, Hindley was found and arrested. She was charged as an accessory to Edward's murder and held at Risley Prison in Warrington, a town in Cheshire, northwest England. Brady maintained that Edward was killed by both him and David, with Hindley simply following Brady's orders. Police searched the house and found a school book with the name John Kilbride on it. With John Kilbride being reported as missing, police suspected that Hindley and Brady were somehow involved in his disappearance. David told police that Brady had a bit of an obsession with railway stations and that he had packed a number of suitcases full of incriminating items. Police searched a number of railway stations in Manchester and eventually found a suitcase in the lost and found office of Manchester Central Station. Inside the case, amongst other things, were nine pornographic photographs of Leslie Ann Downey who was naked with a scarf tied across her mouth. There was also a 16-minute audio recording of a girl screaming and begging for help. Leslie Ann's mother later confirmed that, as well as the person in the photographs being her daughter, the voice on the audio recording also belonged to the 10-year-old. A key witness to the crimes was one of Hindley and Brady's neighbours, 12-year-old Patricia Hodges. Patricia said that the couple often took her to Saddleworth Moor and, as a result, she was able to advise police of a few specific areas that Hindley and Brady frequently visited. On October 16, 1965, police found a human bone sticking out of the ground. At first, they assumed it belonged to John Kilbride. However, it turned out to belong to Leslie Ann Downey. Leslie Ann's mother was able to identify her daughter by her clothing, which, if you remember, was buried at her feet in the shallow grave. As well as the pornographic photographs found in the suitcase, police found a number of photographs of Saddleworth Moor. One famous photograph shows Hindley cuddling her dog whilst crouching over the shallow grave of John Kilbride. John's body was found on October 21, 1965. It was badly decomposed, having been there for almost two years. As with Leslie Ann, John's body was identified by his clothing. As winter approached, the search was called off. On April 19, 1966, the murder trial began. Both Hindley and Brady pleaded not guilty to the murders of Edward Evans Leslie Ann Downey and John Kilbride. When testifying, Brady admitted to having struck Edward with an axe. However, he denied being the one who killed him. He attempted to blame a third party by using the pathologist's evidence against him. The pathologist has stated that Edward's death was due to strangulation rather than from an axe blow. In Hindley's testimony, She denied any knowledge that the photographs of Saddleworth Moor found by police had been taken near the graves of the victims. Brady's now infamous trophy tape of Leslie Ann Downey's murder was then played in its full 16-minute entirety to the court. The voices of Hindley and Brady were clearly audible, though Hindley stated she was in the bathroom running a bath when Leslie Ann was being strangled. Hindley also claimed that she was looking out of the window when the pornographic photographs of Leslie Ann were taken. It took the jury under two hours to come up with a verdict. On May 9, 1966, Brady was found guilty of all three murders, whereas Hindley was only found guilty of the murders of Leslie Ann and Edward. Brady was handed three concurrent life sentences. Hindley was handed two life sentences plus a concurrent seven-year sentence for harbouring Brady with the knowledge that he had murdered John Kilbride. On November 9th, 1965, so this is the year prior to those sentences being handed down, the UK passed the Murder Abolition of Death Penalty Act. This meant that neither Hindley or Brady could be sentenced to death as the act passed whilst they were remanded in custody. You'd think that would be the end of this story, right? The killers are now in jail. But then again, what about the bodies of Keith Bennett and Pauline Reed? This story takes its next bizarre turn 19 years after the arrest of Hindley and Brady. In 1985, Brady confessed to a reporter that he had killed Keith and Pauline. Police had already suspected this may have been the case However, due to a lack of leads and evidence, the investigation had been shut down. Following this confession, Greater Manchester Police reopened the case. Police used the photographs taken by Brady and Hindley to locate different areas of Saddleworth Moor. They hoped to locate further shallow graves. In November of 1986, Hindley received a letter from Keith's mother, which read, quote, I am a simple woman. I work in the kitchens of Christie's Hospital. It has taken me five weeks' labour to write this letter because it is so important to me that it is understood by you for what it is, a plea for help. Please Miss Hindley, help me." Hindley, touched by this letter, was then visited by police and agreed to help them by looking at the photographs and attempting to identify some of the regular spots she visited with Brady. Hindley said she was unsure where the photographs were taken without actually visiting Saddleworth Moor in person. Police reluctantly agreed to take Hindley to the Moor and on December 16, 1986, she made the first of two visits there. The outraged British media described the visit as nothing more than a publicity stunt. Three days later, on December 19, 1986, David Smith spent some time on the moor with police attempting to identify search areas. On February 10, 1987, Hindley finally confessed to her involvement in all five of the murders. This information was made public the following month. A 17-hour tape recording of Hindley's confession was described by police as a very worked-out performance in which she told them as much as she wanted them to know and no more. According to Hindley, she was always conveniently out of the way when the murders took place. Upon finding out about Hindley's confession, Brady stated that he would also confess, but only on the promise that he would be able to commit suicide right after. This request was denied. In March of 1987, Hindley made her second visit to Saddleworth Moor with police. She confirmed to police that the two areas in which they were concentrating their search, Hollin Brown Knoll and Ho Grain, were correct, although she was unable to locate either of the graves belonging to Keith Bennett and Pauline Reed. Searches of the moor continued for a few more months until police finally discovered Pauline Reed's body on July 1st, 1987. They found her body 3 feet deep and around 90 metres from where Leslie Ann Downey's body was found. Upon hearing of this discovery, Brady confessed to all five murders and himself offered to help police in their search of Saddleworth Moor. Brady visited the Moor on July 3, 1987, but provided zero help when he was there, claiming to have lost his bearings and forgotten where the grave of Keith Bennett was. Soon after, Brady claimed that he had killed five further children, however Hindley denied any knowledge of this. No further trials took place after the confessions from Hindley and Brady. The reasoning was that the pair were already serving life sentences and a new trial was not deemed to be worthwhile. In late 1987, Manchester City Council made the decision to demolish the house in which Leslie Ann Downey and Edward Evans were killed. They stated that excessive media interest in the property was creating unpleasantness for local residents. On November 15, 2002, Myra Hindley died of bronchial pneumonia at West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds, East England. Bronchial pneumonia is a type of pneumonia that causes inflammation in the alveoli, the smallest passageway in the respiratory system, located in the lungs. Hindley was 60 years old when she died, and she chain-smoked, something which ultimately caused her respiratory condition. Brady spent 19 years in prison before being moved to a high-security hospital after being diagnosed as a psychopath in November 1985. Over the years, he repeatedly asked to be allowed to commit suicide, something which culminated in 2012 ...when he applied to be returned to a prison after claiming he wanted to starve himself to death. His application was denied. Ian Brady eventually died on May 15th, 2017 from Restrictive Pulmonary Disease at the age of 79. Restrictive Pulmonary or Lung Disease leads to a decrease in the total volume of air that the lungs are able to hold... It is often caused by a decrease in the elasticity of the lungs themselves or caused by a problem related to the expansion of the chest wall during inhalation. Keith Bennett's mother died from cancer in 2012 at the age of 78, never knowing where her son's body lay. To this day, Keith's body has never been found. Police have no plans to carry out any more searches on Saddleworth Moor. That concludes the story of British murderers Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. For more on British murders, please like and subscribe to my channel on social media. All the links are in the episode description please send your British Murder case suggestions to me via social media or via email, which is Murderspodcast at gmail.com for me to cover in future episodes. If you are enjoying British Murders, please leave me a review on iTunes as it really helps my channel grow and would be greatly appreciated. For now, I've been Stuart Blues. This has been British Murders. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, cheerio.